0: Hi, my name is Lanchi, and I'll be reading today's scripture which comes from Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 40. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Amen. And now let's give our attention to the preaching of God's word.
1: Thanks so much to Lanchi for the reading of God's Word. I'm going to add one verse here. We just skipped it in chapter 11, verse 1. If we can go back to that first slide, let me read this for us. This is the introduction to the Hall of Faith. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So, so far this is the reading of God's Word. I've asked of you two weeks ago to reflect And to meditate upon this immense chapter, it's called the Hall of Faith. From the outset, I want to dispel a misconception. The Hall of Faith is not about how much the saints of old gained. The Hall of Faith is not how much you get because of the power of your faith. It's actually the reverse. The Hall of Faith praises and remembers and honors those by faith for how much they gave. Okay, how much they gave up. Or how much what you might say they missed out on. You know, in light of Romans chapter 8, verse 32, if God himself did not hold back, did not spare, did not withhold his most precious, the love of his life, his only son, Jesus Christ, if God himself gave up his only son so that all sinners could be saved and loved, the verse goes on to say, how will he not also graciously give and provide for us all things? Now, see, what that means is, you and I could never outgive God. That's an impossibility. For God gave up his own son, And He continues to give and provide all things for people who put their faith in Him. Now, you see, a couple weeks ago, we looked at the characteristics of real faith. Faith is reasonable, faith is risky, and it certainly is revolutionary. Today, we're just going to conclude with two questions. Conclude with two questions upon the second half of the Hall of Faith. Two questions are... Do you have real faith? And second is, how do you get it and grow in it? That's it. All right, first question, do you have it? Do you have real faith? Second, how can you grow in it? Hmm. There are two halves to faith, the way that Hebrews 11 is constructed. Uh, The first half is attractive, positive It's the thing we want most. But there's another half to faith, a second half. And you have to have both. Real faith entails both. The second half is repugnant. Uh, You might actually say it's shameful, it's disgusting, Uh, it's grisly. First half, Radically different from the second half, but real faith, you have to have both. Okay, the first half, the first half. Hebrews 11 has been a catalog of triumph after triumph after triumph after triumph. Beginning in the age of Abraham and the patriarchs, and then in the age of Moses. We skipped some of those verses the triumphs that come by faith. And then the author is just continuing this theme and then summing it up in verses 32 to 35. He's going along this theme of the triumphs of faith. These are lives characterized by strength that come out of weakness. Okay, it's like grabbing victory in the jaws of defeat. Look at verses 32 and 33 with me. And what more shall I say? He's saying, I may be running out of time, But I'm just going to list off more characters along the theme of the first half of faith. For time would fail to tell me of Gideon, so on and so forth. Let me just highlight characters that I believe are less familiar to us. And I'm going to begin with Gideon. Sorry, don't be insulted if you're already familiar with that character. But I think this is kind of on the fence. Gideon originally had 32,000 men. Israel was at war with the Midianites and you would figure that you should take all 32,000 of your men to fight. God had Gideon whittle down 32,000 men to And there's a famous movie that came out about this, 300. And they went out and fought with no weapons, nothing more than torches at night. And by faith, Gideon triumphed and crushed the Midianites, by God's command. Barak, or if I pronounce it Barak, we're all going to think of the same person. But Barak, the Israelite army general who refused to take the field of battle until Deborah showed up. This is back in Judges chapter 4. Deborah was the reigning prophetess and judge of her age. Uh, Barak would not go into battle without Deborah's presence. And at her command, he and the Israelite forces wiped out to the last man, Sisra and all of the Canaanite army. Let's go on to Jephthah. Jephthah, I don't think I'm pretty safe here. I don't know if many people know about Jephthah. All right, this is from Judges 11. He was born of a prostitute. And because he was shamed as an illegitimate child, he's driven away far from home, far, far, far from home. And I love this little detail. He hung out and lived with, quote, unquote, worthless fellows. And Israel was going to war yet again, and this time it was against the Ammonites. But Jephthah was a mighty skilled warrior, so they asked him to return, and he led the Israelite forces to wipe out the Ammonites. The author of Hebrews is just going off on the first half of faith. Strength out of weakness, victory out of defeat, triumph. And then you go to verse 34, which we're not going to project. It said, some stop the mouths of lions. This should be familiar if you've read some of the Old Testament. Who, are, who is that that shut and silenced the mouths of raging ravenous lions? Daniel. Then in verse 34, it says, Some quench the power of fire. Who are those? Who are these? Uh, Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How? How are the mouths of lions shut? How do you extinguish the power of fire? How do you send overwhelmingly, like, stacked against you, odds, armies, down to the last man, in utter humiliation, defeat, and you kill them all. How does this happen? When the people of God cry out to God in faith, God chooses to answer and to deliver them. Some women even receive back their dead sons in resurrection. Who were those women? In the Old Testament, there were two women who got their dead sons back through the mediation, the prophetic ministry of Elijah and Elisha. Two sons raised from the dead. But this is only the first half of faith. This is only the first half of faith. There's a second half. Look at verse 35. I only mentioned the first half of verse 35. Verse 35 reads this. Here we go. <clears throat> Women receive back their dead by resurrection. We're like, yes. Love that part. Here's the second half. Some are tortured. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Now, dear family and friends, even those of you who are listening in, if your faith stops halfway through verse 35, you have one half of faith, but that's not real faith. One half of faith isn't faith at all. If your faith stops midway, only up to the point where women receive back their dead from resurrection but you don't want or you dismiss or never want to experience or practice all the rest, I'm afraid to tell you one half of faith isn't faith at all. There's a second half. There's a second half. Oh, I know we don't like this part. Because in American culture, we only like storybook endings. Do you know how conditioned how trained I am and you are by American culture. You may call it Christianity, but in American Christianity, we have to deconstruct that. Some of you in this room think that if you have faith, things ought to always work out. I mean, some of you actually believe if you pray hard enough, believe hard enough, if you're faithful enough, if you do good enough, if you're righteous enough, if you give money enough you go to the right person enough, you go to the right guru enough, if you recompensate enough, if you do penance enough, if you just try to make up for all the filth and all the wrong that you've ever done, if you've done that enough, God, you better come through. We admire and want only the first half of faith. But again, if your faith stops halfway, one half of faith isn't faith at all. Because from the second half of verse 35 all the way till the end, it's awful. Uh, let's just face it, it's awful. It's the kind of things that no one wants to talk about in small groups. Like, we're not going to have a seminar on it one day, and I wonder how many people will attend. Here's what it takes to suffer for your faith. Like, here's the reality of the world of world history, of those who have put their faith in God. It's all downhill. Johnny Erickson Tata, 18, dove into the Chesapeake Bay, became a quadriplegic. Her well-meaning friends came to her side and told her, Johnny, if you really have faith, you will be healed. Yes, We all ought to pray and hope that things get better. Absolutely. Sooner than later. And God does answer. God does answer in his own mercy and providence. But Johnny went on to share multiple times throughout the history of her whole ministry. The ultimate point in Christian faith is not to get healed, but to know the healer. When she struggles to get out of bed, literally... Literally, she struggles to get out of bed. She says the only thing she can do is borrow the smile of God and ask for his strength to make it through every morning. Now, you see, Johnny Erickson Tada and the friends of Job, well-meaning, say that if you have enough faith, things should go well. But Johnny refused to believe that. Job refused to believe that. And so did the people in the Hall of Faith. You know, whereas Daniel survived the lions and all of his friends quenched the fury of the flames, John the Baptist was sent to prison one day, whom Jesus praised as, this is the greatest of all human beings who ever lived. John the Baptist went to prison. His disciples prayed for his release. But instead, John the Baptist got beheaded. And his head was served on a silver platter at a party in mockery. Question, did John the Baptist's disciples not pray enough? Did they not have faith enough? Oh, most climactic, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. The Jesus, the Son of God, the one we worship. We have no reason for existence. We should not be here apart from Jesus. The Son of God prayed earnestly to avoid the cross. He begged his Father in heaven, any other way, find it. Any other way out, give me it. Give me a way of escape. Oh, Father God. Please, any other way but this. He prayed, he prayed, he prayed. And yet he ended up crucified miserably. Did Jesus Christ not have enough faith? Listen, my friends. Sometimes it's precisely because of your faith. Everything goes wrong. Did you know that? Did you know that precisely because you have faith, a real faith, that things fall apart? Are you okay with that? Do you even expect that? This is why in verses 36 and 37, it says, some were flogged. Others were imprisoned. Some were stoned. There were people who were sawn in two. Not a magic trick, for real. They went about clothed and slaughtered in the skins of animals. This was a spectacle. I mean, much more gruesome than UFC in the amphitheater in the ancient Roman Empire. They were destitute. Wandering, they don't have a zip code. No, they were not homeowners. No, they were not. They did not live on your block. They wandered about in mountains and deserts and caves. Why? Why? Because they had real faith. Now, why is the author unsparing? I mean, why does the author include all these kinds of details of the sufferings of the saints of old? of the sufferings of people who do have faith remember Hebrews is for an audience who were losing all heart they were losing faith they wanted to tap out it's just too hard I want to give up they were tempted to compromise they were losing their homes their properties being plundered they were watching their wives and children being imprisoned and tortured They were under an intense persecution. Oh, so the author of Hebrews, a pastoral heart, gives them a word. He says, I know, I know what you're going through. There are a cloud of witnesses who've gone through exactly what you've gone through. They've made it all the way to the other side. How? Because they had real faith. Not one half. They had the whole. They had the totality of it. They had the reality of it. They had the supernatural power of it. And active faith. You know, I know for many of you, kind of just sleepwalking through your spiritual life. You safely assume and want to avoid, you know, this kind of life, eh, it's for other people who don't live where I live. Fair enough. You know how lucky we are. And and you... I mean, it's just crazy, right? People in America assume your life should just go from ease to ease. Happiness to happiness. Safety to safety. Success to ever-increasing success. But I want to tell you as your pastor... Uh, That's utterly unrealistic. It's foolish because that would not fit into world history, Christian history, and certainly there's no life story that reads like that in the Bible. Can I ask you, friends, do you have a roadmap of your life and expectation? It's basically the life that every SoCal person wants, isn't it? What, why do people move to SoCal? Why do you pay so much taxes? Why do you want to live here? Ease and joy and good food and weather and entertainment and comfort and security. And then as soon as a little thing goes wrong, oh, really? Those homeless folks, they're going to move into my neighborhood. I'm going to protest. What is real faith about? Oh, real faith. Takes two halves. You know, Os Guinness love him. He once observed all the persecution in history failed to wipe out Christianity. Christianity just keeps getting back up, gets back up. In fact, it explodes in places like China where it's persecuted and trying to be stamped out. But the complacency and the materialism and the addictions of modern life has done a very much better job. Two halves to faith. Two halves to faith. Here's the question. Do you have it? And how can you get it and grow in it? Three vital directions. All right? Three vital directions to get real faith and to grow in real faith. First, you got to change where you look. You got to change where you look. All right. Uh, I'm partly very thankful that I grew up in a generation. I was outdoors a lot, playing sports, just full messing around with friends. But, you know, we got these things called phones now. And uh, I'm a parent. And for all of its good technology and advances and all of its helps, Absolutely. I'm not disparaging it in its entirety, but we have these things called phones which, in essence, lock your gaze. I mean, it makes you look at only basically two things, look at me and look at them. Isn't that what phones normally do? Like, are you really on there doing Bible studies? Are you really on there there trying to read the news? It's... Look at what I'm eating, look at where I'm going, look at where I'm hanging out, look at how I'm dressed, look at what I'm about, look at what, look at me, look at how cool I am. And then it's, look at them. And then we just carry that type of mentality straight into the Bible study and straight into our spirituality. So you come into Hebrews 11 and then you just assume, right? Hebrews 11, oh, wow. Look at their faith. Look at them. Look at them. Look at how heroic and fervent and regular and quantity and quality of their faith. And then you try to just compare and measure yourself up to theirs. It's just look at them versus look at me. But you've been missing the whole point of Hebrews 11. You see, are you with me? If you think Hebrews 11, hall of faith, is basically to get you to look at the greatness of their faith versus the greatness or the lack thereof of your own, you're missing the whole point. You're missing the whole point. You see, in case you're missing the point, in case you think I'm making this up, this is why the author in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, concludes right after Hebrews 11. Here's what he says looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. See, here, here's what the Bible recommends. Here's what the Bible recommends you need to stop looking horizontally. You need to stop looking, just compare and contrast with everybody else. That's why some of you just talk too much. You always want information, disparage. You want to belittle. You want to compare. You want to feel better. You want to feel worse. I don't know. Maybe some of you just want to feel worse finding out where they went. Here's what the Bible recommends. Looking to Jesus. There's a vertical. Here's a vertical. Stop looking around horizontally. Stop looking down and in. Which is the, one of the factors of my bouts with depression since college. I'm prone to look down and in. I'm prone to look into here. Here's what the Bible says. Harold, you got to change where you look. And you know, by the way, it's better for your physical posture. Look upward and outward, but it's vitally more important for your eternal spiritual condition. Change the direction you look. Where should I look? Where should I look? Look at Jesus, who finds faith, who finishes and perfects and completes your faith. Faith will never come. Oh, hear me. You will not grow in faith because you admire or compete or envy someone else's faith. You don't get more faith because you're ooing and awing at the greatness of their faith versus yours. The only way you get faith is by looking at the greatness of God. Hebrews 11 is not about a better you. It's about a much better God. Hebrews 11 is not asking you to look horizontal down and in all the days of your life, because that's misery. How about upward and outward to Jesus? Is there a vertical? Is there a vertical? Look, in your daily life, do you have a vertical look? Ever. But this is how you get faith. This is the only way you're going to grow in faith. John Calvin, after all observed, if you... Take a careful study of all these characters. Again, you're still tempted of, oh, Hebrews 11 and the rest of the Bible. Is just like, I just want to be like them and mimic them. And I go to Bible studies and tell everybody, oh, just look at them. Be like them or just be like me. Why aren't you just more like me? Here's John Calvin. It says, take a good look at each of their faith and each of their lives. And you'll see that they were not only far from perfect, but seriously flawed. Like we're talking dysfunctionally flawed. Gideon, once again. Hey, wait, wait, wait a second. Isn't he the guy that led 300 people with tortures and they completely defeated their enemies? Uh, read the story. Read the story. Gideon at first was scared, totally scared, reluctant to believe. Barak, or Barak, hesitant, wavering, you might say indecisive. Samson, Samson, which I hope you know, most unwise, most interpretations would just say a lust that he had, a lust for women that brought his downfall. Jephthah, Jephthah. This guy was so rash that he vowed to God, God, if you allow me to defeat all the Ammonites, I will offer as a burnt offering the first person that walks out of my house or the first thing that walks out of my house. This is in Judges. And, of course, he was assuming that an animal would walk out of his house, but it was his only daughter that first walked out of his house. King David. Uh, Do you you guys really read and know the story of King David? The man after God's own heart? Uh, The guy was uh, entitled He lusted after a naked woman. He committed adultery. Then he set up one of his most faithful friends and warriors to the front line of battle. Complicit in his murder. He was deceitful. He was utterly, utterly unholy. Samuel, the prophet, careless. Mm. Oh, pastor, I just want more faith. Pastor, I want to grow more in faith. How come my faith is so weak and wavering? Change where you look. Change where you look. Oh, I love you too much. Brother, sister, you don't ever look where you should look. You're never going to get faith there. If you're always in the wrong position, wrong posture, wrong direction, yes, miracles do happen. But how about something a little bit more regular than a miracle? How about God, you taking a vertical gaze at Him, looking at Jesus, founder and perfecter and finisher of your faith? Second, second vital direction. Keep looking. Keep looking keep looking. Do you know why you're obsessed about that right now? Do you know why you got good at that? I assure you, because you kept looking. Do you know why you have that vendetta against that person? I assure you, because you kept looking at that. Keep looking. Now, we here at the church are very careful to distinguish the gospel from moralism because it literally has saved and changed my life again and again and again. We want to distinguish grace from law. We want to tell you that the point of Bible stories is different from Aesop's fables. But that does not mean Aesop's fables do not have truths or morals to be learned. And one of the most famous Aesop's fables is the story of the tortoise and the hare. The tortoise and the hare. The tortoise is awfully slow, but the hare is awfully fast. And in the race, the hare being so confident and relaxed about its speed takes a nap falls asleep and then who ends up winning the race the tortoise the moral of the story goes which we ought to learn in practice is are you just a sprinter or are you steady are you a diva Ah, look at me, look at me right now, spiritual, look at me. Are you a diva? Are you disciplined? When no one's looking at you, what are you doing? Delusions are grander. Are you grandiose? Or are you a grinder? Do you stick to it? Do you stick to it? Keep looking. Keep looking. Keep looking. Are you sure you're not looking if you're not going in faith? And when I say keep looking, you've got to look longer, you've got to look harder, you've got to look deeper, you've got to look further at who? At Jesus. How? In a painting? In his word. Bury your face here. Put your brain and soul and mind here. You know, as your pastor, I know, I just, I, I just lament this. I don't know how many, are you burying yourself in here? Keep looking. And as you keep looking at Jesus revealed in his word by the power of the Spirit, faith will grow. Here's a litmus test to the reality of your faith. Here it is. When things go wrong, when everything does fall apart, things don't go your way, do you keep looking? Or look at the first thing you look at when things go wrong, because that's your Savior. See, that's your real God. What do you look at first? That's what you're putting your faith in to solve the predicament you're in. Oh, Pastor Tim Keller, none other. Pastor Tim Keller. French sent me this, tweeted out on December 3rd, he's been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. Stage four pancreatic cancer. But then he goes on to share: quote, he finds it endlessly comforting to have a God who is infinitely more wise and loving than He is. Endlessly comforting. To have a God infinitely more wise and loving than you and I could be. You see, he keeps looking. He keeps looking. Oh, friend, do you know why you lose all faith? Do you know why you lose all heart? Do you know why you lose all hope when things go wrong? It's because you believed in sensible solutions more than the sovereignty of God. It's because you rested in meeting your own goals, your agenda for what Christ can do for you more than God himself. Hey, you just want a happier, successful business and marriage, your kids to turn out right. But where is your faith? What is real faith? Will you keep looking? Three vital directions. Change where you look. Second, keep looking. Third. Last but not least, look ahead. Look ahead. Now, I've been wrestling with Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, frankly, since my undergrad years. I don't know how many commentaries I've read on the translation. I've done it in the Greek. And my words of how it speaks to me and impacts me, my definition, just definition of faith is this. It is a Holy Spirit power. It is a Holy Spirit filling activity and power to not only live for the future, but to live from the future. Faith is a gift and a spiritual activity. It's a supernatural filling. It's an empowerment, bravery, along with that comes endurance and joy in the people of God And you're not just like living and waiting for the future to come. No, it's like you're living out of the future now. And that is remarkable. This is what gave the Old Testament saints the ability to handle anything and everything in life. Anybody want that today? Anybody want that day? Do you want the ability to handle anything, everything, that life can throw at you? Here's how. Here's how. The Old Testament saints, by faith, kept looking ahead to a better tomorrow. They kept looking ahead to a better future. They kept looking ahead to a final resurrection That's why in verses 39 to 40, there's this intriguing, intriguing kind of conclusion. Uh, They kept waiting. They kept waiting. They kept believing. They kept believing. Even when they were tortured and refused release, even Moses, he said he forsook all the glory and pleasures of the kingdom of Egypt because he knew he was destined for something better. Verses 39 and 40 say that apart from us, they cannot be perfected. What does that mean? I think what that means is. The people who kept waiting in the past, they kept waiting to see what you and I now see much better. They kept waiting to see how God is going to fulfill all his promises. They kept waiting and looking ahead to see how it all ends and how does it all end. We see much better than they ever could. Here's how it all ends. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent into this miserable world to suffer and to be crucified for all of our sins, but only to be raised from the dead and to make everything new. Jesus Christ was the one they were dying to see. He died, but was resurrected to make all things new. Therefore... You and I now, looking back at his resurrection, have a glimpse, a preview. Let me add some words here from Hebrews 11, chapter, uh, uh, chapter 11, verse 1. We now, looking back at the resurrection of Jesus, have more assurance, more evidence, more certainty, more confidence of how everything ends in the future. Our faith, if you do want to compare, should not just catch up to Hebrews 11, but far surpass it. Because if Jesus was raised from the dead to make all things new, all those who put their faith in him, we can look ahead and know that's how everything ends. That means when my heart breaks, God's going to put it back together. That means when I'm going through all those fights, God will bring a resolution in peace. That means my ugliness or other people's ugliness that have been projected or imposed or given and stained me will somehow turn into beauty. That means all the attacks, the oppositions, the misaccusations, the enemies of you, even while you've done nothing wrong. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God says, I'm going to flip everything upside down. Everything will be made right. Rest assured. And even your sin, even my sin, all the suffering and even death itself. It's going to rise again to a never-ending life. Are you looking ahead? Are you looking ahead? It's Christmas Advent season. You're like thinking, wow, Pastor held great for Christmas Advent today. Good job. This is as awful and heavy as a message I could ever hear. Christmas Advent season. And I assure you, Religious or not, end of the year, Christmas festivities, this mood, the spirit, the songs, all of it, looking into 2022 and beyond, everyone's looking ahead because you have to. You know you have to, right? A little longer that you live, a little bit longer that you live. The Bible predicts this. You're going to recognize life is too brutal. It's actually too hard. It's too sad. There's too many injustices and divisions. Loved ones are being lost. Futures are just collapsing. But that famous Christmas hymn, "O Holy Night," that says, "This weary world" needs a thrill of hope and a reason to rejoice. Do you know how you become a Christian? Christian people are the ones who recognize this world is not my home. This world just can't be my home. Because I've been gripped by a faith. There's something far better. I'm looking ahead and I can taste it. I can taste it. Can you taste it? Do you know what's up ahead? Are you preoccupied with the present and past? Do you know that Christian people are supposed to be more oriented toward the future? That faith is a gift and a spirit empowerment where you live not just again for the future, but from the future? Do you know what God has in store for you and for me? And my brother and my sister, if you don't taste it, I don't know how you're going to make it. If you don't taste what's ahead, I don't know how you're going to run the race. If you're not looking to Jesus, and you're not keep looking to Jesus, and you're not looking ahead of what Jesus has prepared for you, how are you going to finish and make it to the end? Because you do know, really all that matters it's how you end. It's how you end. No, 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 not what you did in college. No, 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 don't get Not what you did on that mission trip 10 years ago. Not what you even did last year. No, I want to see you in 20, 30 years, brother, sister. I want to see. I want to be blessed. I want the world to see and to be blessed by a community of people who keep looking and looking ahead. Oh, if Jesus be raised from the dead, if Jesus is raised from the dead, you and I are made and loved for something so much better. So much better. Stop trying to make this world your home. I'll talk about this Christmas Sunday. But can I talk to my Christian brothers and sisters here? I see you trying. I've tried to. A lot of you are trying to make this world your home. It's obvious. That's why you're so neurotic and obsessive about security and success and money and your kids and where you live and everything. You're just trying to make this world your home. Can I, can I do you a favor? Can I do you a favor and tell you something? It's not for me. It's from the scripture. It's going to break your heart because this is not your home. It's going to rip out your soul. Because this is not your home. Every time you try to be happy in this home. You're forgetting. You're losing grip. You're losing reality. You're losing faith. In something so much better. Let's pray together. Let's pray together dear friends. Father in heaven I thank you. That as we enter Advent season. You give us the gospel and your word that we most need to hear. I trust in the power of your spirit more than anything else to speak what we really need to hear. And I pray that it would bring life, new life, joy, cleansing, repentance, most of all, a desire and a closeness to Christ. Oh, Jesus, may you come and minister to our hearts, to the depths of our souls, and for anyone here who is yet to meet Jesus, may he or she recognize we we were made for you. May you make it so. Come down. Bring us into a love relationship with you. As we pray, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Save me from my sin. Lead me all the days of my life. I want to worship you, live for you, follow you. And we pray all this together in Jesus' name, amen.